Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hawk Talking Coffee Podcast. My name is Miles Liados. I have a great show lined up for you today, and I hope you enjoy. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the the show. If if it's your second or third time listening, thank you for your listenership. Uh, go ahead and grab yourself a cup of coffee or your cup of tea or your glass of water, whatever it is you enjoy with your podcasts, and let's jump into the stop, top stories of the day in Seahawks free agency. Well, the Seahawks definitely gave us some cause for celebration as they added to the offensive line uh, this past week, adding Gabe Jackson in free agency and also adding Ethan Posick. I say it's time to pop the champagne because the Seahawks are adding free agents to the offensive line, making the offensive line better, helping to protect Russell Wilson, helping to make the running game more effective and more of a complement to what Russell Wilson brings to the offense, really building around Russell Wilson and letting him know that they are listening to his concerns about not having the talent around him that he needs to really, really make this franchise take off and get to a Super Bowl. I think it's great. And I see that Gabe Jackson is six foot three, 335 pounds, a real mauler to add to the offensive line. Uh, he played with the Oakland Raiders from 2014 to 2020 after being drafted in the third round at pick 81. He's going to come in and play left guard or right guard. Um, if he plays right guard, then Damian Lewis will have to make the position switch to left guard. It's uh, it's just definitely improve, an improvement. Um, and I've seen many people on Twitter sort of re- regarding this as um, an incremental move that doesn't really help and that is more of a Band-Aid over an offensive line that needs to be overhauled and spent more resources on. Look, the Seahawks didn't have a lot of cap space this year. They had $17 million to start free agency, which in, ter- in NFL terms, in the NFL language, that is not that much money to spend on NFL players. So the Seahawks gave up $9.5 million in cap space. Well, $9.5 million salary, I should say, to acquire Gabe Jackson. They spent somewhere around half of their remaining salary cap to add Gabe Jackson. And that's, that's a lot. They also gave up a fifth round draft pick that that isn't that isn't much to give up. I think that that was a consideration Oakland had to make here because Gabe Jackson, you know, by himself is is easily worth a a, th- a third round pick in a trade, but because of the salary, the Seahawks were able to get him for a slightly lower price. Um in terms of draft capital. This this puts the Seahawks in a better position, but it still leaves the Seahawks with three draft picks for the upcoming NFL draft. So hopefully the Seahawks can get something done to add more draft picks, though John Schneider will have to get really creative in trying to do so. So as I said, people were, say, on Twitter especially, were saying that Gabe Jackson doesn't really do a lot to improve the Seahawks' offensive line and that the Seahawks should have done more. Well, look at the resources they had. They had, Like I said, they had $17 million in cap space. They were not going to get a lot done this offseason. I think adding Gabe Jackson... Um, I think that the Seahawks were opportunistic to do that and quite frankly lucky to be able to add a player of Gabe Jackson's capability when offensive linemen are so coveted in the NFL. The Seahawks definitely did everything they could to improve the offensive line adding Gabe Jackson, I think, and that should be enough to help the Seahawks offensive line continue to grow in 2021. We got Dwayne Brown at left tackle. We got Damian Lewis at one of the guard positions 
and we got uh, Brandon Shell at the, at the right tackle position as well. So the Seahawks are, you know, every position is pretty much solid with with a with a starter that um, that has played well in the past. There's there's no huge liabilities on the offensive line this year, which is honestly a breath of fresh air because it seems like in many years past, especially in the Tom Cable years, we had to deal with somebody on the offensive line who really didn't have a lot of experience or you knew would have to be coached up to even be anywhere near to the level of play that we needed them to be at. So Gabe Jackson signs with the Seahawks. He'll he'll come in and and be a and help the Seahawks to solidify um, everything they do on offense. The next addition that the Seahawks made is they retained a player. They resigned a re-signed a player named Ethan Posick, the center who played with the Seahawks last year. He played admirably, honestly, last year and came in and played center. Played in 14 games last year. Um, Ethan Posick is six foot six, 320 pounds, a little bit oversized for a center, um, but definitely was able to hold the fort down for the Seahawks last year. He's an above average center. I think he would be he would be regarded that way across the league. And you know, coming out of out of LSU as a second round pick in 2017, the Seahawks really hoped that they could get him to a level where he could start. And I think Ethan Posick is a starting caliber, caliber player at this time. Um, but the Seahawks hope that he will improve. They, they hope that he can get even better in 2021. Um, who knows if he could eventually become a pro bowler or an all pro. Um, that's really unsure at this point. But at the very least, the Seahawks have a player at center in Posick, who they know is capable enough to... Um, to be the starting center for the full season if need be. Now, that doesn't mean that the Seahawks are necessarily done on the offensive line. With a second-round pick uh, coming up in April's draft, the Seahawks definitely will be looking for centers, and there is quite a list of centers available in, in the 2021 draft, and Ethan Posick may find himself with some competition at the center position in 2021. At a, at a salary of only $3 million for the 2021 season, Ethan Posick is going to be facing some competition. And it's, it's fair to, to think that um, when you consider that the Seahawks also have Kyle Fuller on the roster, who you know is not someone the Seahawks want starting at this point, but if he improves in 2021, he may end up being viable competition. Um, and then if the Seahawks do draft a center in the second round, or beyond, you may see that player uh, coming in and taking snaps from Posick. It's all, it's all up in the air at this point. We, we really have to wait and see at the center position. But like I said, at least the Seahawks know that with Posick, there's not going to be um, a dramatic season spiraling drop-off on the offensive line uh, that causes Russell Wilson to get hit 50 times and uh, not have someone there who can make the line calls and do everything that a center fundamentally needs to do. And the Seahawks also made a move that was a little bit surprising to me, and that is what they re-signed Chris Carson. Chris Carson signed a, a three-year, $24.6 million contract that voids after two, million, after two years, uh, and it includes incentives. I think his cap number this year is somewhere between three and four million. So the Seahawks actually did get Carson back in what many are calling a coop for the Seahawks. Um, Chris Carson was very valuable last year. He was a bruising runner. Um, 
at five foot eleven and two hundred and twenty two pounds, he's exactly the kind of runner that Pete Carroll likes. He can you know run downhill between between the gaps and and he can run guys over. And he's just he's just uh, someone that the Seahawks really covet. Uh, his career rushing statistics: he has three thousand two hundred and seventy yards rushing, and twenty one touchdowns in his career. So you know, as far as running backs go, Carson is a top five guy in the league. As far as running backs go, though, you know, I mean, I don't like to spend a lot on running backs because I particularly don't view the running back position as a as a very as a super valuable position. That's it's it's a position that is that is uh, leveraged by good offensive line play and even good quarterback play. I don't believe that you have to have a great running back to have a a good running game. However, Chris Carson coming back on the deal he got makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks. Although I would rather them probably spend that that money elsewhere on on elite offensive linemen or wide receivers. The Seahawks didn't have the option to get elite offensive linemen anymore because Kevin Zietler signed elsewhere. You know, Joe Thune signed elsewhere. You had um, Kenny Galladay sign with the Giants. All the elite players have pretty much come off the board and there's not anywhere to spend tons of money acquiring those kinds of players anymore. So the next best, best thing is to, is to bring back players who you know, who you're familiar with, and who can come in and uh, continue to make the impacts that they were making last year. Chris Carson definitely fills that bill. The fact that the that the Seahawks brought Carson back means that the that the running back room is now pretty solidified. You have Carson as the as the leader of the group, and then you also have Rashad Penny. You have Alex Collins, who show, who was who showed to be capable last year, and you have Travis Homer and DJ Dallas as well, who fill out that running back room. DJ Dallas will probably catch passes out of the backfield and and be a, a contributor that way. But the Seahawks could continue. Uh, building their team by by uh, by getting some cap room. I think that that Rashad Penny is on is currently on the roster. He was a first round pick of the Seahawks. Um, not not the greatest pick I think that the Seahawks could have made, but it is what it is at this point. The Seahawks may may end up deciding to just keep him with um, with paying him three million this year. However, if they are able to move on from him either by trade or or even releasing, I think that that would help the Seahawks in terms of freeing up cap space to add a little more talent before the season starts. Um, you know, Pen- Penny has some some breakaway speed and all that, but I think that that with the free agents that are on the market, he's more more or less a, a repl- replaceable player. God, I hope Rashad Penny's not listening to this. That would be embarrassing. But anyway, I think that I think that adding players on on who are on the um, free agent market last week, I mentioned the Minnesota Vikings running back Boone. Um, I forget his first name, but his last name is Boone. The Seahawks could add him, uh, and I think that um, I think that Penny is someone who who doesn't necessarily need to be with the team in twenty twenty one. Though I won't be at all surprised if he is on the roster in week one. Now, moving on, the Seahawks made another move, one that I was talking about the Seahawks potentially making in the last, in episode two. And that player is tight end Gerald Everett, who played with the Rams for the first few years of his career. 
Um, this is a move that makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks. They, we, have, we have an offensive coordinator in Shane Waldron who ran the offense that Gerald Everett was a part of last year. Gerald Everett fits the scheme that Shane Waldron theoretically wants to run, assuming he's able to run it without too much control from Pete Carroll. Um, he can block in a zone-wide scheme. A wide, so, excuse me, a wide zone scheme and make it easier for the running backs to get outside and around the edge. Um, that's something that that Waldron really values. Gerald Everett is also a very athletic pass catcher. You know, at a he's 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 just very athletic at a six foot three, two thirty nine. Um, there's there's really not no kinds of catches that he can't make. He can. He can he has a lot of breakaway speed. He can break tackles. He can spin. You know he he has a pretty unique skill set for a tight end. And although he hasn't reached, you know, an elite level of statistical value in the NFL yet, he's someone who has the potential to get there. And even if he doesn't get to that level, I think that he's just a great scheme fit for the Seahawks and a great fit for Russell Wilson because if you watch some of the tape that he had in LA, uh, not only are you seeing him break tackles and do things that are really athletic where you're mistaking him for just a wide receiver, um, but you're also seeing him do great things when the play breaks down and where, you know, Jared Goff was running outside the pocket. Gerald Everett had a really good um, understanding of what to do when that happened. And he would always, he always seemed to I often see him when I'm watching highlights and tape of him that he's able to find the soft spots in the zone and just and just plant himself there and wait for the ball to come to him. He was really able to do that. And I think with Russell Wilson, his style of play, when he starts to scramble around, run outside the pocket, Gerald Everett is going to be um, a really natural fit to um, help Russell be able to find, find him in uh, the open zone. And I think the Seahawks will see a few big plays from Everett this year. Um, in regards to that. Hopefully he can come in and have a really career year and he'll be a really nice compliment for Will Disley. Uh, combining that with the fact that in, in, um, that in 2019 when the Seahawks played the Rams and just barely edged them 30 to 29, um, Gerald Everett had 136 yard receiving yards in that game. I mean, he absolutely torched the Seahawks and I'm sure that the Seahawks saw that and said, wow, um, it would be really nice if he was playing for us and, and not a division rival. So the Seahawks made that a reality this year, adding Gerald Everett. And we'll see we'll see how he can contribute in 2021. Uh, the, the last name that the Seahawks, the significant name the Seahawks added in free agency was Akello Witherspoon. I also brought this name up in the last podcast. He's a cornerback from the San Francisco 49ers. Um, played his first few games there after being drafted. And I believe it was the third round um, and yes, the third round of 2017, um, he's got the, he's the prototypical corner that the Seahawks looks for, looks for. He's got 33 inch arms at six foot, almost six foot three and 198 pounds. Um, <clears throat> he has the Richard Sherman body type and, um, he was someone that Richard Sherman mentored in San Francisco and, uh, helps to sharpen his skills. And Richard Sherman still, you know, gives, gives Akello props, um, so when Akello comes here, he'll definitely be someone to keep an eye on in terms of the competition between him, Trey Flowers, and DJ Reed. I anticipate that Quentin Dunbar will be back, will be brought back too. Um, that will be a, a move that we'll be waiting on in the coming days. I'm not sure that 
Dunbar is going to be developing a lot of interest around the league because of um, everything that he's been through in the past in the past year. Um, but bringing him in will be really beneficial to the the competition. I'm not sure the Seahawks will make many more moves at defensive back. I was hoping that they would look at bringing back Richard Sherman again. That would just um, that would just be great for Seahawks fandom overall. Um, but if this is the group that we have for competition um, and and you know you know how Pete Carroll is and and how the Seahawks coaching staff are they are able to groom and and train defensive backs really well in their system so there's no reason to think that even with a group that doesn't have a standout star they'll still be able to create a successful group maybe not to the level of the Legion of Boom again but you know, I think that the Legion of Boom sets such a, a high standard that it's unrealistic for anyone to meet that again, at least in this generation. Um, so those are the, all the, the free agents that the Seahawks added, and um, it, it's definitely more than we thought they'd do. Some people thought this would be a lost offseason, off and, you know, every year the Seahawks, everybody thinks that with, with the with the lackluster moves the Seahawks generally tend to make in the offseason that they're going to be the last team in the NFC West. Well, that really never happens. The Seahawks may not always win the NFC West, but they're never the bottom feeders, that's for sure. They're never the Arizona Cardinals. So, um, yeah, Arizona Cardinals fans, if you're listening to this, you can suck it. <laughs> okay, moving on. So... Uh, going forward, we have uh, many different players available. I think one position that the that the Seahawks need to address, and it's not uh, considered a need by many, but it's considered a need by me, is the wide receiver position. And I think the wide receiver position is a need for for two reasons, and and one of them is that um, is that the Seahawks don't really have a a, a firm wa- third wide receiver. Uh, the guy that would be the third wide receiver if the season started today would be Freddie Swain, who is a second-year player out of Florida. He made some good plays last year, but he's not proven enough that you would want him to be your third wide receiver. Um, the other reason is that if is that given that fact, if DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett had to sit out any games because of injury, um, then Freddie Swain would be your number two receiver. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure anybody wants that, even Freddie Swain. I'm not sure Freddie Swain is ready to, is ready to jump into that role yet. But, um, you know, I'm sure that he would be competitive and he would, he would take the opportunity to, to do that. But um, I'm not sure that it would work out for the best in the NFL at this point. Um, so the players that are available that really catch my eye that the Seahawks could go after are T.Y. Hilton and Golden Tate. Now, T.Y. Hilton is a is a very accomplished player. He's a he's a burner. He can he can get you on the on the deep routes. Definitely a great deep threat throughout his career. Made a lot of great plays with Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. Um, kind of dropped off last year and didn't have the year that people thought he would with Philip Rivers. But you know, um, Hilton is definitely still able to play. He's uh he's thirty one, which is not the prime of any wide receiver's career. But I think that. We've still seen plenty of wide receivers at the age of 31 succeed, especially because so much of playing wide receiver is running routes and being able to do all the things that um, help you get open that don't require athleticism, understanding schemes, you know, that kind of that kind of stuff. That being said, I think T.Y. Hilton still has a lot of athleticism and he'll really fit into what the Seahawks want to do. 
You know, the Seahawks acquired Philip Dorsett last offseason with the hope that he would be another deep threat to pay, to um, combine with Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And he didn't end up being that because he never suited up. He never played a game um, because of injuries. But uh, Hilton is everything that Dorsett is, uh, you know, times 10. You know, he's the kind of player that, that you put in there and see how, and, and other teams have to really plan for um, because he's going to take the top off the defense and go down the field. With Russell Wilson as the best deep ball thrower in the game, there's no reason that Hilton couldn't come in and um, be a really great target for Wilson and really thrive in this offense. So, you know, with Galladay off the board, T.Y. Hilton seems like the next, next best, best bet. Um, you know, given that he'll probably land somewhere in the over $10 million range in terms of money, I, it's, it's unlikely the Seahawks would come up to that number. If he were to somehow dip under $10 million on a one-year contract or something like that, I think the Seahawks might take a look. Um, but it's something that would have to kind of fall into the Seahawks' lap as they are wont to do with free agency, sort of taking the deals that come to them. And, of, of course, the other name I said was Golden Tate. Um, you know, we're familiar with Golden Tate. Um, played his, his rookie contract in Seattle and had a lot of success a really unique player just just is able to be shifty um, and also fast at the same time. Kind of you know runs his routes like a running back um, and has a lot of a lot of ability to get yards after the catch. Um, he can also make the flashy one-handed catches and things like that. A player that I would welcome back. I know that a lot of people say that Golden Tate has burned a lot of bridges in Seattle. I won't you know speculate as to why that is. I think a lot of people out there feel like they know. Um, everything that went down with what Golden Tate ha- what what happened with Golden Tate here, but you know I think that when it comes to when it comes to playing playing football, a lot of that stuff can just be water under the bridge, you know to um, to sum it up. And I think that if Golden Tate came in, um, Russell Wilson would have a great target to throw the ball to, and and really you know that should be all that that really matters. I mean. Golden Tate's not not someone that I consider to be a low character guy. There's not anything in the media that would say that he is a super like a low character guy. I think that he sometimes gets a rap for that because of, you know, some of some of the attitudes that he's displayed on the field and off the field. But um but he's not someone that that has ever been in trouble or anything like that. So I think that bringing in Golden Tate, it makes sense. And I think that he could be a great third wide receiver still in the NFL, um, you know, at the age of at the age of uh, 32 years old, he still has the ability to to uh, break open a game and, and do all the things that you need to do as a wide receiver to be a significant contributor. Now, you know, other other uh, comp- competition options out there, which the Seahawks might look to do is to add a couple of a couple of different guys. One of them could be Marquise Goodwin. Marquise Goodwin was with the 49ers in 2019, but he was he was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles in 2020. However, he decided to opt out uh, for COVID-19 for the 2020 season, um, and he reverted back to the 49ers this year, who then released him. Um, Goodwin is, you know, he's a player that he, he had a, a really flashy uh, 2017 season with uh, 962 yards receiving, and he looked like someone who was going to be a number one receiver. And that all kind of changed um, as, as things went on. Marquise Goodwin decided, started to deal with injury issues and 
in 2019, uh, when Goodwin went on injured reserve, Kyle Shanahan, uh, the head coach of the 49ers, said that Goodwin was dealing with some chronic knee and foot issues. Um, and that, that kept him out the rest of the season. So Marquise Goodwin's really a, a, a reclamation project, um, but someone who has potential to, to return to, to similar form of 2017 at only the age of, I'm scrolling up, of 30. So uh, Goodwin could come in and, and be someone that the Seahawks could, could have as competition for the third wide receiver spot. Another one is Marquise Lee, um, who came out of, who was drafted in the second round out of USC in 2014 by the Jaguars. Um, of course, he was, uh, he was, I believe he was recruited by Pete Carroll, but I could be wrong on that. Somebody can, can let me know on Twitter if I'm right about that, if you want to. Um, <clears throat> and, and Lee is someone who had a lot of success, you know, a, a fair amount of sex, success in his career with, with the brightest spots of his career being between 2006. 16 and 2017, where he had, you know, 1,000, he, he had over 1,500 yards receiving between those two seasons um, and six touchdowns. And so Marquise Lee is definitely someone who showed a lot of promise. Uh, last year, similar to Marquise, or Marquise Goodwin, he decided not to play due to COVID-19, um, and he was under contract with the New England Patriots, but now a free agent again. Um, the Seahawks could look to sign him, and, and Pete Carroll could bring in, could bring in a USC guy who has, um, who's a, a wide receiver who has a lot of talent for a cheap price. Um, Pete Carroll's not, you know, hasn't been known to bring in uh, players um, from from his time at USC. Um, he has been known to do that with coaches, but not players. Uh, that being said, I think that, I think that. Uh, Marquise Lee makes sense in a lot of other ways outside of just being a USC connection for Pete Carroll for him to bring him in. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't just be saying that about Marquise Lee just because he he had a relationship with Pete Carroll at USC. So I think that that could be an ad that makes sense. Um, moving forward here we have uh, we have di- another position of need is obviously defensive end because the Seahawks don't have a lot going on there right now. Um, their, their top producers um, on the offensive line were Carlos Dunlap and Benson Mayoa last year, and they're both free agents. Uh, Dunlap had five and a half sacks, Benson Mayoa had six. Um, so those two players were fairly productive, especially Dunlap because he was only with the Seahawks for a partial season after being sent over by the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know... Carlos Dunlap was released by the Seahawks because they couldn't bear to pay the $13.5 million cap hit that they were due to pay him. So they released him and said, eh, maybe we'll bring you back, but you're going to have to take a lower uh, salary to be with us. So not sure Dunlap appreciated that, but um, the, the Seahawks, you know, in their infinite wisdom, wisdom to de- decided to do that. And hopefully it pays off for them. Um, of course, Dunlap... You know, at six foot six, two hundred and eighty-five pounds is is a beast coming around the edge. Um, I believe he's someone who can line up inside too, which is what the Seahawks like. They like their defensive linemen to be versatile and be able to to match up against tackles and guards and centers. Um, he was a second round pick in in two thousand ten, and he's someone that the Seahawks need need to bring back honestly in order to have 
anywhere close to an elite pass rush. If the Seahawks aren't able to bring him back, though, one of the players that the Seahawks could consider bringing in, who's a similar uh, body type, is uh, Alden Smith. Alden Smith, six foot four, two hundred and eighty pounds. Um, obviously, we knew him when he played in the San Francisco 49ers during you know the golden years that the Seahawks enjoyed when they won their Super Bowl. 2011 to 2014, he played with the 49ers. He was a first-round pick, seventh overall by them in 2011. Um, last year, he had five sacks because he came back and he played with the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, um, you may remember that Alden Smith had a, a hiatus from the NFL for for many years as he dealt with as he dealt with many personal problems, which um, which are well documented, and. Uh, Smith coming in could be could be someone that the Seahawks could get a, could, could uh, excuse me a pass rusher that the Seahawks could get at a number that is more um, palatable for them. Um, if Dunlap signs elsewhere, then I think that Smith has to be at the at the top of the list of replacements uh, that the Seahawks could bring in. Another player available is Benson Mayoa. Obviously, he played he played with the Seahawks last year. Six three two sixty five. He had six sacks, so I think that he he, you know, lived up to expectations higher than what the Seahawks expected of him when he came in. I don't think that Mayo was someone the Seahawks signed and thought, wow, you know, we can really count on this guy to come in and and make many plays for us. But he ended up making making a, a significant impact, and um, with six sacks, that's something that the Seahawks would like to bring back. And if he could, if he could get give out that production again as a as a as a ro- rotational defensive end then i think that that is something that is uh that is realistically um something that the Seahawks would value to have now if he comes back in in 2021 and he improves even better and that's what you can hope for by bringing Mayoa in again is that you know if you look at his career you can see that he's he's improved every single season that he's been in the league and last year, topping it out with six sacks is not too shabby. And Mayowa back in a Seahawks uniform, I think, would be a healthy and smart move for the Seahawks. Now, the last move, uh, you know, it may ruffle some feathers. So I don't want to ruffle any feathers out there. But uh, adding someone like Jadevian Clowney is something that might make sense for the Seahawks. You know, they wanted him back last year on a, on a lower number. He ended up signing with the Titans for $13 million to play last year on a one-year contract. He ended up getting a grand total of zero sacks with the Titans last year, which um, I'm sure the Titans were very disappointed about. Clowney was someone who came in with the Seahawks. He had three sacks, but I think that the, the vast majority of opinions out there were, well, he only got three sacks, but he's causing a lot of other sacks and a lot of tackles for loss simply by his presence and by collapsing the pocket. Since Clowney is not due to receive tons of attention on the free agent market this year, um, it makes sense to go ahead and check in on him and see if you can sign him for a lower number. Um, I think it was John Clayton this week on 710 ESPN Seattle said that he believes that Clowney will sign for somewhere under $5 million dollars. If, if you had told me that the Seahawks would be able to re-sign Jadevian Clowney at one year for less than $5 million uh, back when he was a free agent last, last year, I would have told you you were nuts. However, that's the situation that Clowney is in. And if the, C, if the Seahawks could bring him back, it would be a huge boon for them. I think Clowney, you know, he always said that he enjoyed his time here in Seattle. So 
if he has to take a lower number um, to play somewhere, um, why wouldn't it be in Seattle where he said that he's enjoyed playing and he enjoyed the locker room and team culture? You know, I think that it makes sense for both sides to bring Clowney back. Um, you know, even if even if he comes in and he, and he doesn't even end up having the same kind of impact he had in 2019, I think it's still worth it to take to take the risk on a, on a lower contract and and just see if he can if he can get back to that production that he had because you know Jadevian Clowney is one of the more unique names that I've ever um, I've ever covered um, as a Seahawks player in that he um, is a really super athletic defensive lineman, maybe one of the most, maybe the most athletic defensive lineman the Seahawks have ever had. And although his production hasn't, hasn't lived up to that hype, um, he's just been in, incredibly intriguing to watch on the football field. And every time you watch him on a play, you can see that he collapses the pocket and really just does a great job of um, being a intimidating presence on the defense. He has kind of a he has sort of what you what you would call maybe a Cam Chancellor like effect on on the on the on the opposing team's uh, mindset. So I think bringing Clowney in makes a lot of sense. Well, um, I think we're gonna call it. Thank you so much for listening to this Hawk Talk and Coffee podcast. Um, I hope to see you back here again. If you want to get in touch with me on Twitter, my my Twitter handle is at Miles Daily. Um, you can also message me here on the blog. And um, I just, I just want to say again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a great rest of your day. See ya.